Welcome to episode nine of the Pub Democracy Podcast, a conversation on life and politics where we seek to return thoughtfulness, truth, and civility into our political discourse over a good beverage. I'm your host, Brian Berghoff, a pastor in Holland, Michigan, who is running for U.S. Congress in Michigan's second district. Well, last week, I finally had a chance to debate my opponent, Representative Bill Heisinga. It was delayed by eight days after his positive COVID diagnosis, but better late than never. We'll include the full audio here for you to listen to, and if you find it meaningful, please share with a friend in the remaining days leading up to November 3rd. Are we live? Yep, go ahead. Oh, hey. Okay. Anyway, welcome. Um to our rescheduled debate for the Michigan's second congressional district. Uh, I'm Mark Berkey from the Grand Haven Tribune, and I'd like to welcome our candidates, uh, incumbent Congressman Bill Heisinger, Republican from Zealand, and Pastor Brian Burkhoff from Holland, the Democratic Party nominee. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. We have, uh, we have many questions. We're going to try to drill this down to an hour. And, um, and we included as some questions from readers. I'll ask one of you a question. I'm gonna to try to remember to rotate who goes first and you will have two minutes to answer followed by a two minute response from the other candidate. And the first candidate then will have a one minute rebuttal. And then we'll wrap it up with a three minute closing statement from each one of you. Um, first off, before we get started, Bill, uh, the news is that and why we had to cancel our uh, Facebook Live debate is, uh, earlier was uh, you have COVID-19. You came, got tested that, that same day and we had to cancel it at the last minute. How are you doing? Uh, well, thanks, uh, doing, uh, doing pretty well. Fortunately, I've had mild symptoms, um, feel, uh, feel pretty good. I'm definitely tired, uh, which I've heard from a number of folks that no matter whether it's been severe uh, symptoms or whether it's been mild, uh, that certainly is something that uh, has been a challenge, but uh, glad that we could do this uh, eight days beyond where we had anticipated. Obviously, that was a was a surprise to me uh, getting the COVID-19 uh, uh, positive test uh, when I was going to go see uh, Vice President Pence, but uh, glad to be here. Very good. So is, is it like the you for your your case anyway, is it like uh, does it feel like a flu, just a normal uh, influenza that goes around every year? Or, or uh, you know, interestingly enough, in March, uh, about middle of March, when we were going back and forth and basically uh, flights had disappeared, I was uh, driving back and forth to Washington, D.C. And I got home after uh, a couple of weeks of being out in, in, in D.C. on a regular basis. And I, I was definitely feeling sick and had uh, and then started having uh, chest issues and, and breathing issues. So I went in and got tested, convinced I had COVID. And it turned out I had influenza A then. I felt way worse in March uh, than I did with this. Uh, for me, it's kind of migrated a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit of a head cold kind of a feel first couple of days, then a very, very runny nose for a couple of days. Uh, then really not much of anything, maybe a, a little post-nasal drip kind of a feel. So that's, you'll see me drinking some water and a little tea. Uh, but uh, yeah, fortunately, not uh, any real severe headaches or achiness or I ha haven't had a temperature at all. Uh, during the whole time. And uh, so that's, uh, I'm very fortunate on that. 
Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Good, good to hear that you're you're recovering. So let's get started. Uh, first, a three-minute introduction from each one of you. We'll start with uh, Pastor Burkhoff. Thank you, Mark, and thank you to the Grand Haven Tribune for hosting this debate. Thank you, Congressman Heisinga, for being willing to engage the issues. And thank you to my wife, Christy, and our four kids for supporting me throughout this campaign. And thanks to all of you tuning in from home. My name is Brian Burkoff, and I'd like to be your next representative in Congress in Michigan's 2nd District. I grew up in West Michigan and was raised in the Christian Reformed Church. I faithfully attended cadets and catechism classes, and I was taught and took to heart at a young age that my only comfort is that I am not my own, but belong both body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And I was taught growing up fundamental values like honesty, integrity, compassion, and character. And those values still ground me today. I was trained for ministry at Calvin Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, and I've been a pastor now for the last 15 years. And what I've discovered is that being a pastor requires being a good listener and being grounded in empathy and compassion. It's been a deep privilege to be present with people at some of the most joyful moments of their lives, on a wedding day or when a new child is born, but also some of the hard moments when a difficult diagnosis is received or it's time to lay a loved one to rest. Now, you may have heard some questions about whether I'm able to run for this seat. And it's true that in the last redistricting, my home was left a mere two blocks outside of the second district. But it's also true that my kids go to school in the district with Bill's kids. The church I serve is in the district and nearly our entire lives takes place in the district. It's also true that over 20 elected members of Congress find themselves in a position similar to me and the Constitution supports their and my right to run and serve. Amid the most difficult year that just about any of us has ever experienced, I believe West Michiganders are ready for a congressman who shows up and who cares. I'll work to pass COVID relief and always protect coverage for pre-existing conditions. I'll make sure my votes are based on what's good for West Michigan, not for wealthy donors, special interests, or even what my party wants. And I'll always stand up to bad leadership in the White House, no matter who's in office. We're at a low point in this country, and we've never been more divided. The time is right for leaders who can bring us together, 30. heal our divisions, and work for a stronger future for all of us. All right, thank you. Now, uh, Congressman Heisiger, your opening statement. Well, uh, Mark, thank you for uh, putting this on. And again, uh, my apologies for it being delayed a week. Not certainly not my intent uh, to uh, have this opportunity uh, with uh, with Pastor Berghoff. And uh, I want to say thank you uh, to the whole community that has reached out, offered up their heartfelt thoughts and prayers and encouragement. Uh, during this time, and that's meant a lot to me and to Natalie and the kids uh, as well, and, and obviously a challenging time uh, for everybody, uh, but uh, uh, this has been uh, a unique perspective that I've been able to gain uh, having going through this the, uh, the last eight days. Um, well, we know that West Michigan is a very, very special place, and uh, I've had an opportunity, the honor and privilege of living here my entire life. Uh, I'm kind of uh, get it. I've gotten a reputation in Washington, D.C. as the guy who walks around with his hand up pointing 
no, no, over here, this is where the district is. Uh, the, uh, lots of people don't understand the Great Lakes region. They certainly don't understand Michigan. Uh, they hear I'm from Michigan and they say, well, how is Detroit doing? And it's like, well, that's about three hours away. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've got some unique things that we have over here that we deal with. Uh, but uh, it's such an awesome uh, state to represent and certainly this district. Um, what we do know is also that when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, um, we all had to rally. And it was honestly, it was quite encouraging what had happened in Washington, D.C. Uh, you had people uh, talking to each other, trying to figure out solutions. And in fact, we came together on four bipartisan pieces of legislation. The first one, the first response, uh, about $8.3 billion was on March 6. Um, that was uh, to, to make sure that the CDC, the NIH, and all the alphabet soup of all those federal agencies had the proper funding that they needed moving forward in addition to what they had been allocated already. It culminated uh, in the end of March with the CARES Act, uh, the largest rescue bill that uh, the United States has seen. Uh, and then uh, we went back and revisited in April um, the, uh, the funding for the Paycheck Protection Program, which was really designed for companies under 500 employees, those main street companies, uh, everything from a mom and pop dry cleaner and pizza shop uh, up to a small manufacturer here in right. West Michigan, we're able to, uh, to, to, to gain that. So as a small business owner, I understand uh, the needs that we have with that. I will never forget the people that I represent here in West Michigan. I'm going to continue to fight for common sense solutions on healthcare policy and pre making sure that pre-existing conditions are protected, lowering costs, empowering patients, protecting the lives of the unborn, and preserving the Great Lakes. Well, we've got a lot more work to do, and I look forward to uh, being able to serve you again. Thank you, Congressman. All right, now we're going to get to the specific questions. And first, uh, from readers of uh, the Tribune, we've, we asked them to um, provide us with some questions, and we had many. So uh, we whittled them down to a few. First one, um, uh, first we'll ask uh, the Congressman, do you support the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services order to keep in place mask wearing requirements and limitations on gatherings? And is your decision based on politics or science? Congressman, you have two minutes. So that's a, that's a fairly wide and broad. Obviously, uh, the, uh, the, the Michigan uh, Department of Health uh, had to act and, and counteract uh, after the governor's executive order had been thrown out on a unanimous basis, by the way, uh, by the state Supreme Court, uh, they have scrambled for that uh, and put that together. Uh, what, here's what I believe, uh, that there are proper times and proper places to make sure that uh, people are wearing their masks and that they, they are uh, doing the proper social distancing. Uh, what we know from CDC and others is that there is a six foot and 15 minute rule uh, or actually a guidance on that. Uh, and I'll tell you this, uh, going through this experience, I, I just talked to two different doctors again today and a nurse last night, uh, and everyone has a slightly different take on what exactly this means uh, and what exactly the, uh, what the uh, effects are going to be. So do we need to use common sense? Absolutely. Do I personally drive around in my car alone with my mask on like I've seen some people doing? No, I don't do that. Do I wear it when I go into a grocery store? Yes, I do. Do I take it off when I walk out into the parking lot? 
Yes, I do, because we're not anywhere around. So uh, I believe that science absolutely is at the, at the core and has to be at the core of our uh, decision-making. What I've seen though, is that masks, 30. Friday night football, uh, the post office, you name it, literally everything has become political these days. And that's the shame. We need to come together, dial back the rhetoric and use some common sense. All right, thank you. Pastor Burkhoff, your response, you have two minutes. I do support uh, the decision to uh, require Michiganders to wear masks in public spaces and practice social distancing because that's what the science is telling us will keep us safe. And unfortunately for our country, we have had leadership that has questioned the science since the outset. We've had a president who has uh, who refused to even wear a mask himself until I believe it was mid-July and has regularly made fun of and mocked mask wearing, recently said, we don't know if masks work, there's science on both sides. No, the science is clear that wearing masks keep us safer. And unfortunately that uh, national leadership or lack thereof uh, has its effect on the population and that's why it's become politicized. I agree with the Congressman that it shouldn't be politicized. Something as basic as wearing a mask because I think it's a simple, it's a kindness. It's caring for your neighbor wearing a mask. If the science says wearing a mask helps keep us safe, it's not a complicated issue. It's not a political statement. It's just common sense. And it's thinking about the common good and how we can take care of each other. Now, unfortunately, we've seen the president come right here to the second district. He had a rally in Muskegon last week in which we saw no social distancing and very few masks. And I saw the congressman celebrate and post a photo of it to social media as if it was a terrific thing. When in fact, it was dangerous for our community. I think the voters are ready for leaders who unequivocally in the midst of a pandemic, listen to the scientific and medical expertise. All right, thank you. Um, Congressman, you have one minute. Yeah, uh, if we were gonna follow the strict science, we would all be walking around with N95 masks. If we were following this and there was no politics involved, we would not be using those little cloth or paper uh, surgical masks because uh, they will tell you, science will tell you that 20 to 30 minutes after wearing one, one, one it is most likely compromised in some way, shape or form, especially if you touch it, you move it, you do anything with it. Yet somehow it has become a symbol of quote unquote, I'm for healthy science or I'm against the president. That's oftentimes what it gets cited and that's exactly what, what we have here. So we need to use common sense, uh, but it, that also means that uh, we need to stop the symbolism part of it and actually understand what this means when we are trying to keep ourselves, our family, our loved ones and our community safe. All right, thank you. This first, uh, this next question, uh, we'll start with Pastor Burkhoff. What is your opinion of President Trump's handling of the pandemic, as well as Governor Whitmer's responses? Well, as I've already hinted, uh, it seems to me that we've had a real lack of a coordinated national response to this pandemic. It's been a piecemeal sort of scattershot approach where states and local communities are sort of left to fend for themselves. And I believe in moments of national crisis, we need to come together. And so I think we do need uh, a national COVID strategy around testing, tracing and mask wearing that does rely on facts 
uh, and medical and scientific expertise. And the reality is until the pandemic is solved, we're gonna continue to have our economic and personal struggles, right? All of our lives have been disrupted this year and um, all of us have experienced challenges, right? Kids are stuck in front of screens instead of being in school, in the classroom, small businesses have had to close and too many people have lost their jobs. And I think all of this because leadership in Washington has refused to step up and take this thing seriously. The president called it a hoax at the outset and he blew it off for months and then we later find out that he actually knew the severity of this virus at the beginning, and he chose to put his own personal political uh, agenda ahead of preserving the well-being of the American people, and for that he should lose his job. There's no way to frame the Republican response to this crisis other than as a colossal failure. And in fact, uh, I haven't seen my opponent hold this president to account for his failed 30. response to this pandemic. Instead, he's claimed or he's complained about the actual leadership that's been displayed by our governor, who's done everything in her power to protect lives and livelihoods. And uh, I think we need to do better. We need to expect better from our elected officials in the midst of uh, a crisis like this. And I think instead of going it alone in terms of a vaccine, as this president uh, insists on, we need to collaborate globally in the development, manufacturing, and distribution of a safe vaccine because we are in a global community and this pandemic has brought that to light like nothing else. All right, thank you. Uh, Congressman Isaac, your response? So apparently protection means violating the constitution and people's rights. Uh, that's exactly what this governor did. Um, it's a little like when FDR decided to throw all Japanese citizens into internment camps to keep everybody safe. That should have been illegal. It was immoral and it was uh, not constitutional. So this governor's response set aside whether it was the right thing to do was illegally done. She did not use the legislature and the legislative uh, <clears throat> powers uh, the way that they were supposed to be used. Why, why, do, why do I care so passionately about this? I served for six years in the state of Michigan as a House of Representatives uh, for the area in the House of Representatives under a Democrat governor. Uh, and I had to work with her and was able to work with her. Uh, this was just was completely outside the bounds. So how you can excuse that action just because you feel like it was the right thing to do uh, is no excuse. So now hopefully there's going to be a balance restored to make sure that the rightfully duly elected folks here in Michigan are going to be able to have their say. Now let's move back to Washington, DC. If you look at what has happened just today, the FDA uh, approved Rendisivir uh, from Gilead, uh, one of the uh, research companies as the only approved uh, uh, remedy to deal with COVID-19. This is in record time. Uh, the FDA, the FDA has been in, uh, working overtime. The vice president has been working overtime with the uh, with the the task force. I've been on early on. I was on conversations and and phone calls with the governor, bipartisan calls that were happening uh, with the mayor of Detroit and other places when Southeast Michigan was experiencing those crises. Uh, and so we were able to cooperate as best we could. The federal government stepped up every single time that they were asked. And then I would watch the governor go and play politics on television, 
contrary to what we had just been having a conversation about on a conference call. That's right. shameful. Thank, thank you, Congressman. Uh, Pastor Burkhoff, your uh, one minute response, rebuttal. Well, the governor did what she believed was needed to keep Michiganders safe. And she was getting no cooperation, frankly, from the Michigan legislature. And who knows uh, how much uh, how, how much economically we saved and how many lives were saved through the actions that she took. Uh, and you know, I applaud what she did and the efforts that she took. And frankly, uh, she was one who was always listening both to the scientists as well as to uh, the business community in trying to navigate this uncharted path together. What she did not do is belittle scientists, mock mask wearing, or turn uh, best practices into a political statement as our president has done again and again and again. And he's undermined her effectiveness here in our state by tweeting things like liberate Michigan and calling her a dictator. And frankly, uh, all of that we know helped embolden and empower a threat on her life, which is awful and has no place in our society whatsoever. Thank you. Uh, the next question, following the end of the pandemic and shutdown orders, what is the best way to get businesses back on track? And should we have another stimulus check? We'll start with Congressman Heisga. Uh, thank you. Well, we should have a stimulus package that could have an additional uh, stimulus check that like had gone out early on. That was a $1,200 um, stimulus check that went out. Um, we, have, uh, we have collectively in a bipartisan manner uh, directly put almost $3 trillion into programs, state and local governments, schools, uh, uh, the, the CARES Act, uh, which, uh, which was the largest aid package that we had ever seen in the history of the United States, had the Paycheck Protection Program in, which here in the, in the second district is estimated to have saved 200 and almost 240,000 jobs, people being uh, maintained on their payroll. But we've got we've got a long way to go. We've got to go back and revisit this. And the Paycheck Protection Act, which has one hundred and thirty eight billion dollars allocated but unspent, uh, is sitting there on the sidelines. Unfortunately, Speaker Pelosi refuses to release that money or to take a vote on that. We also have somewhere three to four hundred billion dollars of the CARES Act uh, money that has, again, been allocated but unspent. Uh, that needs to get uh, de deployed as well. What I have rejected, and I've been criticized by my opponent for, is uh, when he talks about uh, uh, needing to have fiscal responsibility, he's been advocating for an over additional over $3 trillion spending bill that the speaker has been putting 30. forward, which, had, which is just chock full of all these pet projects and pet policies from the hard left that made no sense and certainly were not bipartisan. In fact, the last vote we took on it was a bipartisan vote against it. We had 13 Democrats that actually joined us. So uh, we need to make sure that we are developing uh, the medical response. We need to make sure that we open the economy in as safe and as low risk a manner as possible. And that has to be a balance. You know, when we, uh, I know my time is up but I know we're gonna have to revisit this. <laughs> okay, thank you. Pastor Burkhoff. I do believe we need another COVID relief package passed right now. And it seems to me that Republicans in the Senate have much more interest in quickly uh, confirming and passing through a Supreme Court nominee than they do in helping 
uh, hardworking and struggling Americans. And that is really uh, a misplaced priorities, I believe. Uh, Washington's inability to act on this has been astounding. It's been over 150 days since the House Democrats passed the HEROES Act back in May. And again, a bill that uh, my opponent voted against. Now the Democrats uh, realized that this was likely not going to pass the Senate. So they came back to the table and they passed uh, a smaller version and Bill voted against it again. This measure would continue unemployment benefits, put cash directly in the hands of hard-hit Americans, protect small businesses, and so much more. In fact, this HEROES Act would, re would repeal the $135 billion giveaway to millionaires. It would extend unemployment insurance at $600 a week. It would provide $900 billion for state and local public services who so need that money. It provides $117 billion in additional support to Medicaid, $13 extra an hour for hazard pay for essential workers, a 12-month moratorium on evictions and foreclosures, so important as people are struggling to pay rent, and $3.6 billion for election assistance grants to make sure that uh, this election can happen safely and securely. These are not left pet projects. These are just things designed to help regular Americans. And uh, this bill contains no threats to Social Security or Medicare. Americans need this support right now, and we need a congressman who will work hard for us to support us in this difficult time. And of course, the truth is that we can't get our lives back to normal or our economy up to speed until we stop and solve this pandemic. Nobody's going to full stadiums or packing bars until we get a hold of this virus. Thank and you. Uh, congressman Heisiger, you have one minute. Yeah. So, um, those might be some things that have some bipartisan support. Here are some things that don't. Legalizing marijuana banking without a hearing. Federalizing all of the elections. In other words, putting the federal government in charge of all of those things. Trust me, there is plenty of uh, pet policies and pet projects that are, that are chock full of this, uh, in this uh, in this last bill. And again, 13 of my Democrat colleagues looked at the speaker and said, you are playing politics with this. We need to get serious. This, there is absolutely no doubt the Senate wants a far skinnier bill, far more focused bill. Uh, the White House is very eager to get an agreement. In fact, they are now up to $1.9 trillion. Speaker Pelosi is stuck and will not move because she knows it's a better as a wedge political issue than it is as a real solution. And that's unfortunate. All right, thank you. Uh, moving to our next question, we'll start with Pastor Berghoff. Uh, what would you do to push in the, what would you push in the next session of Congress to help working class families get back to work? What I push to help working class families get back to work. Well, I think we need to look at where people are struggling. And so again, you know, not to come back to this, but passing another relief package so that small businesses have access to pay tech paycheck protection loans uh, so that they're able to again begin hiring. Again, we need a national test and trace program so that uh, businesses can know that they have healthy employees and that it's a safe place to operate and that we can get our schools operating again. You know, with schools uh, being virtual and childcare centers closed, there are uh, millions of Americans who would otherwise be working that are staying home to be with their children. And so again, we have to get a hold of this virus and listen to the science and practice 
everything we can to keep each other safe to have any kind of economic recovery. And once we begin to do all of those things, then we'll begin to see hiring happen again and so on. And I also think that we need to continue to invest in our public schools. We need to make uh, higher education affordable and accessible. We need to invest in job skills training and as well make students aware of opportunities in the trades. And we need to support our working people and our labor unions who you know, work to ensure that workers have fair wages, safe working conditions, and can bargain collectively for their rights in the workplace. Uh, so those are a few things that I think will keep, will get us on track and 30. get us moving forward economically for every American. All right, thank you. Um, Congressman Heisinger, what would you push? Yeah, uh, a, a number of things. And, and uh, this is critical that we get people back to work. Um, you know, union household, non-union household, blue collar, white collar, doesn't matter. Uh, we all need to come together and have a healthy economy. I, I should note at this point, we're in a political uh, time. Uh, I'm proud to uh, have the Teamsters endorsement. Uh, so we've had labor unions. We've had NFIB, National Federation of Independent Businesses, that have endorsed me. Uh, National Association of Realtors, the home builders, lots of independent folks that, uh, that are really responsible for putting paychecks uh, uh, in the bank and food on the table. Um, I can tell you one thing that I proactively did, two things I proactively did once COVID hit, uh, was introduce two bills. Uh, one called the Patriot Bonus. It's a 50% tax credit for a company that, in, that increases wages on either a per hourly basis or a weekly bonus, performance bonus, show up bonus, or a one-time thank you bonus. Uh, they would get a 50% tax credit. And that could be the small mom and pop dry cleaner and pizza shop, or it could be a larger company. I don't care. It's money into the pockets of uh, working men and women. The other thing that I uh, sponsored is the HEROES Act, the real uh, in, original HEROES Act, helping our emergency responders overcome emergency situations. Nancy Pelosi liked the name, so she stole the name from me. But nonetheless, uh, that was a Great. bonus that would suspend our first responders and the folks that are out there, healthcare workers and others, police, fire, EMTs, they wouldn't have to pay their federal income tax for a period of time. This is exactly what we do when we send our combat soldiers uh, into a war zone. And I think we ought to be doing the same thing. But it is about tax reform. It is about making sure that money is in people's pockets. And uh, by the way, one other thing that was uh, nestled into that, uh, that Nancy Pelosi, quote unquote, Heroes Act, was a giveaway to millionaires and billionaires in all the blue states, the SALT, the state uh, deductibility of people's in, uh, 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 property taxes. So I voted against giving that to millionaires and billionaires, and apparently my opponent would have voted for it. All right, thank you. Um, Pastor Burkhoff, you have one minute. Yeah, perhaps folks noticed that uh, Moody's Analytics did an economic forecast based on who wins this election, and they definitively predicted that a Biden win and a Democratic sweep in Congress will result in more jobs, a better and faster economic recovery, and economic gains across the board. They even project that Democrats would be better for the budget deficit than Republicans because they know that Democrats are ready to invest in America, ready to reinvest in the nation's public health infrastructure so that we're prepared to address this current pandemic and any future challenges. All right, thank you. Uh, moving on, uh, 
Congressman Heisinger we will uh, respond first. We're going to ask a social justice issue question. What's the best way to fix social justice issues in America? Is it reform? Is it reconstructing the criminal justice system? What can Congress do to address this issue, Congressman? Well, and you have to ask what has Congress done and uh, what has this administration done? And uh, my friend Tim Scott has done a tremendous amount of work uh, in this area. And in fact, prison reform was one of the best, uh, most positive steps we have seen taken in decades. And it was something that needed to happen. Um, is there racism out there? Absolutely, we see it. You know, as, a, as a good Calvinist, I know man is depraved, sinful, fallen and evil. That's, that's unfortunately our nature. Uh, and, and we do harbor those things. Uh, and and that, uh, that needs to be addressed. But as uh, the, the author C.S. Lewis talks about in mere Christianity, you can change somebody's actions, but if you don't change their heart, the outcome isn't going to actually work. You need to change people's hearts. So obviously that is, uh, that is something that we need to work generationally on. Um, so how else can we promote social justice and economic justice and economic opportunity? So the, one of the best programs that we can possibly do is called a job. Uh, getting people out there and employed at a wage that actually allows them to live. Um, I've also worked very hard on making sure that we've expanded healthcare access and especially mental health uh, care access. Um, I, I took a model that I learned about uh, over a number of years that Muskegon County has been doing. They called it the multi-share or the three-share. And it was the employer, the county, uh, and the person themselves were splitting costs to get health care for families. That was huge. Uh, so we've done that. We've worked with Pine Rest to make sure that Medicare and Medicaid recipients and those that are, are uh, disadvantaged economically have greater access to mental health. Uh, certainly economic growth is going to be the key for this, and we've got to make sure that those opportunities are there. Uh, our tax reform bill had opportunity zones. Literally every county in the second district has an opportunity zone, either township or city in it. And that is going to be a huge incentive to make sure that people are coming in and investing into those communities so that they can provide those jobs. And we'll continue to do those. That and educational choice. If we've got one last thing, it's going to make sure that people not aren't dependent on a zip code for a good education. Thank you. Uh, Pastor Burkhoff, two minutes. Well, for me, social justice is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian and a good human. Many of uh, Jesus' actions, uh, in fact, feeding the hungry, helping the sick, defending the oppressed, criticizing religious leaders and political empires, pursuing justice, always making space for the outcast and the marginalized, these would be considered social justice actions by today's standards. And in fact, reading the Bible is what led me to look at politics differently. In the gospel text that I'm preaching on this week in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, a second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, later Jesus is asked, who is my neighbor? And he tells a story which reminds us that our neighbor includes not just people like us, but people of different faith traditions, different cultures, different ethnicities, different languages. Each of these is our neighbor. And if we don't love our neighbor who we have seen, First John says, then we cannot say we love God when we haven't seen. 
We cannot have policies that dehumanize immigrants, that put kids in cages while deporting parents, that take away health care coverage. By the way, Bill has voted over 60 times to overturn all or part of the ACA, which would uh, remove protections for coverage for pre-existing conditions. We cannot embolden racists and white supremacists and consider ourselves to be uh, acting on social justice, at least not by biblical standards. But of course, we're called again and again to be a light under the world and to welcome the stranger and the immigrant. And that's rooted in the biblical truth that every person is created in the image of God. And so I believe it's possible for us to have immigration laws and border policies that are both compassionate and effective. We don't need to sacrifice our humanity in the name of security. It's possible to do both. Social justice means we work for equality and welcome for every person, regardless of the color of their skin, who they love, how they identify, and where or if they worship. All right, thank you. Angelo wrote, love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, and penetrates walls to arrive at its destination full of hope. Congressman Heisinger, you have one minute. Uh, thank you. Uh, what we need to do is make sure people are treated equal in the eyes of the law. Uh, that hasn't always been the case, and we're imperfect, but we need to make sure that we are doing that. Again, that's why I support uh, what uh, my friend Tim Scott had done in the Senate. We had a version also of the Justice Act uh, that would look at police training, accountability, transparency. That needs to happen. But we are not a theocracy either. Uh, we are a country of laws. And uh, all of those compassionate things that we need to do those are calls upon me as a believer and my church community, not necessarily the government's role. The government does have to maintain border integrity. It does have to maintain a military defense of the nation. It does have to do some of these things that I know some faith leaders don't believe in. Uh, so uh, that, uh, that can't be part of uh, what we're looking to do. So uh, at the end of the day, economic growth is the key to this making sure that we have educational choice as well. Uh, uh, you know, looking at what Michigan had been here in the past, Michigan is one of those states where a majority of the kids that access school choice are actually minorities. Right. We ought to be celebrating that. We ought to be pushing that and encouraging that. Thank you. Uh, moving on to the environment. Um, this uh, will be directed to Pastor Burkhoff first. You both prioritize the Great Lakes on your campaign websites, but one thing you two may disagree on is how to move forward with energy production in our country. Representative Heisinger prefers that the federal government stays out of prioritizing a certain form of energy, while Pastor Burkhoff believes in a more hands-on approach toward renewable energy and emerging, emerging technology. Tell us why are you the best fit to deal with these issues in Congress, Brian? Well, let me just talk a little more broadly at the outset. What I'm hearing from constituents is worry about climate change, worry about clean drinking water, and worry about how we're treating the environment. I've marched in student-led climate strikes, and I hear from high schoolers who are worried that people my age and the congressman's age aren't taking climate change seriously enough, and I share their concern. The scriptures remind us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And the first task given to humans was to care for the garden that they were placed in. And so my faith tells me that we were created to live in harmony with, not intention against creation. And it's the overwhelming consensus of the scientific community that climate change is real, is a threat and has human causation. And therefore climate change 
as I understand it, is an ethical, social justice, and spiritual issue, because how we treat creation ultimately is becomes how we treat ourselves and how we care for our neighbors. And yet the fact is we have a president who calls climate change a hoax, who rolls back environmental regulations left and right, has tried to dismantle the EPA and pulls us out of the Paris Climate Agreement, and we have a congressman who hasn't dissuaded him on any of these views. And in fact, we have a, a scorecard on the congressman's voting record when it comes to taking care of the environment. And he has a 3% lifetime environmental voting rating from the League of Conservation Voters and a 0% rating in 2019. And that's not good enough. 30. I know Bill likes to talk about his support of the Great Lakes, which is good, but you're, when you're not protecting our inland, inland lakes, our rivers, our streams, and you're not taking action against climate change, then you're not taking care of the Great Lakes either because they are all part of the same ecosystem. And so I believe we must end federal subsidies to oil and gas companies. Let's end those subsidies and level the playing field so that clean and renewable sources of energy can compete in the free market. Thank you, uh, Congressman Heisiger. Uh, yes, everyone, including me, believe that we need to have clean air and clean water. I, I don't know of anyone who believes anything other than that. The question is, is how do we do it? And my opponent talks about human causation. I absolutely agree with that. The difference is, is with the Paris Climate Treaty and with so many other, by the way, it was an accord. It was not actually a treaty because President Obama uh, didn't want to put the work into actually turning it into a treaty with the, with the U.S. Senate. But nonetheless, uh, the Paris Climate Agreement and so many other treaties and agreements that the U.S. has been a part of recognizes that human causation but apparently it stops at the US border because the US has been saddled with the vast majority of all of the responsibility of this, the cost, the expense. Meanwhile, China, while we are dismantling uh, coal-fired uh, power plants here in West Michigan, China is putting them up at a rate that is just blindingly fast. And by the way, they're not even coming close to the, uh, the types of of scrubbers and the types of cleanliness that, uh, that ours have. I know CMS Energy and DTE have invested hundreds of millions of dollars just here in West Michigan, up in Port Sheldon uh, on, their, on their particular facilities. So uh, we need to make sure that we are uh, having a balanced approach, a common sense approach. How many of you remember $4 gas, $30. a gallon? Now we were just talking about social justice. How much social justice is there in that? When you've got someone who is just struggling to even have car insurance and certainly can't have a car payment and is trying to go to work, but now suddenly has to pay $4 a gallon to go do that. Well, what we've seen now because of our energy independence here in the United States, States done safely, we're no longer dependent on Venezuela or Saudi Arabia or Russia or any other country around the world. In fact, for the first time, we are a net exporter of energy, whether it's gas or oil. Now, I served for six years on the Energy and Technology Committee when I was in the state legislature. And I know some of the benefits, but I also know a lot of the pitfalls and the shortcomings of things like renewable portfolio standards and other things that states have gone through. Uh, so we have to have a balanced approach. We have to use common sense. We can do that, but we also have to make sure that others other than just the United States are being held accountable for their actions. And we don't see that. Yep, thank you. Uh, Pastor Berghoff, you have a one minute's response. 
Well, when you say that you're for clean air and clean water, uh, that's great. But when we look at your voting record, uh, many of your constituents have real questions about that. And the truth is, if we don't take climate change seriously, we are betraying future generations. It's time for the United States to be a global leader on climate change, not a global embarrassment. And so let's invest in clean energy sources. Holland already gets, the city of Holland, over 30% of its power from wind. In Grand Haven, uh, around a quarter of its energy from solar. And the truth is there are many jobs to be found by investing in clean energy. Michigan is a leader in the Midwest uh, with over 120,000 clean energy jobs. And many of those are right here in the second district. We're often told that we can either take care of the environment or take care of the economy. And I think that's a false choice. It turns out that we can do both and that by investing in the environment, we create jobs and create economic gain gains. All right, thank you. Our next question will be from the headlines of recent news um, about the kidnapping plot. And uh, we will start with the Congressman. Many people, including Governor Whitmer, are saying that divisive speech in government is fueling the actions of extremists like the ones who allegedly plotted to kidnap the governor. Where do you stand on this? Certainly we've seen rhetoric ramp up. And I can tell you, unfortunately, from personal experience, the number of death threats, um, smears, doxing, things like that, that have happened not only to me, to my wife, to my daughter, to my kids, to my staff. In fact, one lunatic from two years ago who was paling around with my last opponent, who was, uh, was, uh, had to go have a little conversation with the police as he was harassing my 22-year-old staffer uh, and was creating a dangerous environment. So. I've experienced this firsthand. There is absolutely no excuse on any side. It is not acceptable. In fact, I believe I was one of the first people to respond when I saw that story uh, about uh, Governor Whitmer being uh, uh, having this plot, this alleged plot uh, uh, brought against her. I served with Gretchen for four years in the state legislature. We have vast differences in policy, uh, but no family, no one should be going through that. And, but let's be clear who these people are. These are the same people that were ranting against Donald Trump and Governor Whitmer. These are, these are Timothy McVeigh types who hate government at a local, state, and federal level. This is not someone who's partisan. In fact, the only partisan attack that I'm aware of came against my friend Steve Scalise and the Republican baseball team right. when a gunman opened fire on them literally because they were Republicans. In fact, one of my best friends uh, from South Carolina it, uh, met the guy out in the parking lot and the guy asked him, hey, who's that? Is that the Republicans? And my friend uh, affirmed that. And the gunman passed by him, even though his name was on the list of 10 people he wanted to kill and walked over there and started opening fire. So there's plenty of rhetoric all the way around. It's not acceptable and we must condemn it all. All right, thank you. Pastor Burkhoff? We must immediately and unequivocally denounce any violence or threats of violence. And we should call this plot against... Hello? Yes, he's still there. Okay. I can hear you. Yeah. All right. We should call this plot against the governor what it, what it was, terrorism, right? And it has no place in our state or nation. And we must hold accountable those who plot or attempt to carry out such actions. And I'm so grateful for our diligent law enforcement officers who uncovered and stopped it. But the truth is words have power. 
especially words from the president. And we heard his words loud and clear when he tweeted, liberate Michigan. When he called heavily armed neo-Confederate protesters at our state house, very good people. When he called neo-Nazis in Charlottesville, very good people. When he stood on the debate stage a few weeks ago in front of the world and told white supremacists to stand back and stand by and refuse to denounce them. And when our president is enabling and empowering hate groups, at the very least, we should have the comfort of knowing we have people in Congress ready to call him out. But unfortunately, Bill has been largely silent. When will the party of personal responsibility take some personal responsibility? In fact, Bill had a chance to denounce a hate group that is based on lies and conspiracy theories a couple of weeks ago when Congress passed a bipartisan resolution denouncing QAnon, a group that has placed threats against my own family, and Bill refused to vote on it. What does that tell your constituents? And for those listening, I understand some of you maybe didn't like all of the governor's quarantine policies. But the last thing I'm sure you want is for folks like these terrorists to claim to speak for you. So let's stand together to denounce the hatred that's corrupting our politics. We're Michiganders, we're tough, we have heart, and we're in this together. And as your Congressman, I will speak out against hate speech and threats to our safety, no matter where they come from. All right, thank you. Uh, Congressman, you have one minute. So let's talk about the QAnon vote. Sorry, this is going to be a little hard for me. I left Washington, D.C. before that vote happened. It was a Friday. It was a nonsense vote. Now, a basic, basic research would show you that I put in a statement of how I would have voted, and I would have voted for that, that resolution. 30. The reason why I left is I have an immediate family member who has terminal cancer and is in hospice. And I made the choice for my family to leave Washington, DC. I didn't take the easy out to go file a, uh, a, a, a how I would have voted a, uh, a, there's a new procedure that the house is, is, has implemented, which I believe is unconstitutional. And having a proxy vote is not the way that we should be operating the House of Representatives. So instead of putting in a proxy vote and having someone else vote on my behalf, I made the difficult decision to leave Washington, D.C. for the health of my family. So if my, my opponent wants to criticize me for that, even though he could have easily done the research to find out exactly how I was, would have voted on that resolution, you're right to do so, sir but that is the wrong direction to go. All right, thank you. Um, our last question for the evening will be started with uh, Pastor Burkhoff. What are your thoughts on the Affordable Care Act or is there a better way to address the healthcare and insurance issues in this country, such as a single payer universal health insurance plan? You have two minutes. Well, I believe that we must make quality affordable healthcare available for all Americans and I think we've discovered during this pandemic how critical this is and that the health of my neighbor is just as important as my own health. You can't run a business uh, if you don't have healthy employees. You can't send your kids to school if teachers or other kids are sick or potentially sick with a contagious virus. And we've seen how the whole economy can be harmed when public health is not a priority. 
we must do better in this country to make healthcare costs affordable, to make sure all families have access to the care they need and to make our health care system more efficient. Because frankly, it breaks my heart when I hear of people who decide not to go to the doctor or seek medical care when they need it because they're not sure they can afford it. And so we should do everything we can to make sure no one is ever in that position. So I believe we must build on the foundation of the Affordable Care Act, which gave over 20 million Americans coverage, including many with pre-existing conditions. The rate of uninsured Americans is at a historic low thanks to the ACA. Uh, again, my opponent has voted to overturn all are part of the ACA over 60 times with no plan in place to back it up. And I've spoken with parents right here in the second district who have children with pre-existing conditions who could not get health care before the Affordable Care Act was passed. And they've told me that the ACA has literally saved the life of their child. So I believe we should build on it and improve it. We must continue to make sure that covered for mental and behavioral health is included as well. And uh, just briefly getting back to the last topic, uh, Congressman, I'm glad to hear that you took care of your family and I apologize for not being aware of that regarding that vote. All right, thank you. Congressman? Well, I appreciate you saying that. That means a lot. Um, so the ACA, quote unquote Obamacare, was the wrong answer to the right question. Everyone agrees that we need to have greater access, higher quality care, uh, at a lower cost. Unfortunately, the Obamacare did bring higher access, but also increased costs and lowered the quality of care. Remember when you could keep your, your healthcare plan if you liked your healthcare plan, uh, or you could keep your doctor if you liked your, health, your, your doctor? Well, that wasn't the case. And there was almost as many people that lost healthcare coverage as gained healthcare coverage on that. So, if the ACA, Obamacare, isn't the answer, what is? Well, unfortunately for my opponent, I actually have sponsored a bill called the AHCA, American Healthcare Act. And that was a response that the House Republicans had put in place and into legislature. I'm a co-sponsor of that. I also uh, am a co-sponsor of HR 4159. So nobody could misconstrue this. We named it the Protecting Patients with Pre-Existing Conditions Act. So there are some things about the ACA that I do approve of. Number one is pre protecting those who have pre-existing conditions. There is no reason why my family member with cancer or my uh, friend who happens to uh, have a, a, a heart defect can't keep in their own insurance as they're moving that along. So uh, we also have looked at the Community Multi-Share Coverage Program Act. That's something else I've introduced. Uh, the Medical Mental Health and Inpatient Equality Act and Inpatient Act. I've worked on a bipartisan basis with that, a guy named Paul Tonko, and I have been working with pa, uh, Pine Rest on that. We need to make sure that drug pricing is lowers out-of-pocket cost, makes sure that there's an increase in availability for generics. FDA process needs to be speed up. ACA, Obamacare was not the right answer for this. We have to have alternatives. All right, thank you. Pastor Burkhoff, you have one minute. Well, as someone who receives no funding from insurance companies or pharmaceutical uh, industries, I'll always fight for what's best for you and not for them. And again, I think we need to build on the foundation of the ACA. Certainly it isn't perfect, but let's continue to uh, move toward a system that allows people choice with regard to their health care, a choice between uh, various private plans, but also public plans so that we can fully leverage 
the power and innovation of the private sector while holding insurance 30. companies accountable and giving people choice. And it's true that uh, currently over 10% of our annual healthcare dollars now goes toward prescription drugs. And we pay more than any, uh, more than folks in any other developed country. And so I think we need to fight for increased checks and balances on the pharmaceutical industry to end egregious and predatory pricing strategies that hurt West Michigan families. Thank you. So, gentlemen, uh, we will wrap it up with a closing statement from each candidate. Uh, Congressman Heisiger, you will start. You have three minutes. All right. Well, Mark, I want to say thank you to you, uh, Grand Haven Tribune, um, uh, Pastor Berghoff, uh, and, and you all watching, especially the voters uh, who are going to be engaging uh, in this uh, very robust election cycle, as we know, is going to be happening. Well, it actually is happening right now, uh, as we're seeing those absentee ballots getting filled out. But as we have 12 more days until Election Day, uh, I also want to say a thank you. Uh, those heartfelt thoughts, prayers, encouragement that uh, that myself and my family have received as I've been dealing with my own personal COVID situation. Um, it has uh, certainly been a challenge, as you can imagine. Um, Hopefully tonight you heard about my results and my solutions driven uh, views on how we can uh, use West Michigan's shared values to better our community, better our state, better our country, and certainly better the future for our kids and our grandkids. Um, I'm not a big one into, into sort of talking points and rhetoric. Uh, that is not who I am. I am someone who believes that we need to go in and work on a bipartisan basis where at all possible. And guess what? We need to be talking to everyone on all sides of these issues because if you're not talking, how are you supposed to figure out whether you agree on 5%, 15% or 50%? And that's a reputation I've had in my time in Lansing and certainly the same reputation that I have in Washington, DC. To be clear, uh, my vision stands in contrast, I think, to my opponents. Well, I'm, I'm pro-life. I'm endorsed by uh, Michigan Right to Life, the National Right to Life, the Susan B. Anthony list. And I, I believe life is precious from conception to natural death. Uh, he's pro-choice. We didn't get a chance to talk much about that tonight. Uh, I'm for cutting taxes and pro-economic growth policies. He's for raising taxes. I voted against the largest spending bill ever passed by the House, which was the Nancy Pelosi strictly partisan bill, my opponent has indicated he would have supported that reckless spending. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get much of a chance to talk about how we are going to deal with the $23 trillion in debt that we have. You know, I have a, I believe I have a vision uh, of optimism and optimism and opportunity for all. And I think my opponent seeks to dwell on everything that he claims is wrong with America. And I, for my entire tenure in Congress, have not run a single negative ad against any one of my opponents. And yet my opponent has been out there uh, throwing out false accusations and, and innuendo against me, my family, my staff, uh, all under the banner of supposed integrity. So um, it seems like he's debating the current president more than he is me oftentimes. But here's what I know. I will never forget that I represent the people of West Michigan. I will protect those with pre-existing conditions, lower costs and empower patients, not bureaucrats. I'm gonna grow our economy and create jobs. I'm gonna protect the lives of the unborn. I'm going to preserve the Great Lakes ecosystem for the, both the ecology and the economy of it for future generations. It's an honor to serve you in Congress. 
and I will continue for work to work for you as I fight to revive our economy and preserve the Great Lakes. And I humbly ask for your vote tonight, and I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. Uh, Pastor Berghoff, you have three minutes, but as you, as you know, three and a half is fine. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Mark. Thanks to the Grand Haven Tribune. Uh, thank you to Bill Heisinger for taking time tonight. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. The truth is, I don't love the oppositional nature of running for office. Bill is a brother in Christ, and it brings me no joy to point out what I see as flaws or disagreements on policy, but that comes with the territory of running for office. Uh, and what hurts me the most, I think, is that when we elected an off-the-rails president, we at least expected our congressman to be the adult in the room, but he hasn't been. Bill might wanna distance himself from this president. He's seen the polling out there and for good reason, but he can't, not when he votes with Donald Trump over 97% of the time. Just the other day, we heard about 545 kids still separated from their parents and no one knows where the parents are. Not a word from our congressman. When we discovered that the president lied to us about the severity of the virus, which has now left over 220,000 Americans dead and economic devastation everywhere, Bill has no criticism of that. When the president comes to West Michigan to create a potential super spreader event with no social distancing and very few masks, Bill celebrates it. When we hear immigrants described as criminals, rapists, and murderers, silence. When we hear white supremacists described as very fine people who should stand back and stand by, more silence. Now, Bill accuses me of going negative in this campaign. Believe me, I don't like to talk about shortcomings of my opponent, but let's remember that highlighting someone's record is not a personal attack. It's called accountability and truth-telling, and I think we need more of it. Friends, when is enough enough? I'm tired and I know you are too. It's been a long campaign, it's hard work, and I'm not a politician. And I certainly didn't get into this race because I love politics. I got into it because I love my neighbor, and right now I'm worried about my neighbors. If you're black or brown or gay or not a Christian, do you feel represented right now? Do you feel heard? Do you feel like you matter? And I'm tired of the division. I've spent over 12 years bringing people together across religious and political, uh, the religious and political spectrum. And I know that when we sit down at the table together, good things happen. And yet for the last four years, we've had a president who has tried to tear us apart and we have a congressman who's been happy to be along for the ride. But I believe it's time for us to remember that before we are on the left or on the right, before we are Republican or Democrat or anywhere in between, we are friends, we are neighbors, we are fellow Americans, I promise, always to listen to you, whether you vote for me or not, because I believe we are better together. And so it's time to turn the page toward a better West Michigan, a better America, a better us. And in the end, this campaign, it's not about me and it's not about Bill, it's about you and making sure that it's your voice that's heard in Washington and I will do everything I can to make sure that it is. Thank you. All right, thank you. I want to thank both of you gentlemen uh, for taking the time to tell us what you think about the issues. Good luck, election coming up November 3rd. Um, and um, I do want to mention that local journalism is vital to a community. We ask that you support yours by subscribing to your hometown newspaper, the Grand Haven Tribune. You can subscribe at grandhaventribune.com. So uh, pastor, congressman, uh, have a good night. Good night. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation on the issues, and I hope that helped you make up your mind as you decide who to vote for in Michigan's 2nd District this election. You can follow me at Pub Theologian on Twitter and like my campaign page on Facebook at Brian Burkoff for Congress, and you can find me on Instagram as well. You can listen to Pub Democracy anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Music for today's episode was by Lee Rosevere. And until next time, friends, keep using your voice, your heart, your hands, and your feet to be the change you want to see.